for our first corporate issuer of Canada Rocks today, we have the newest publicly listed company, which is Lithium Royalty Corp. Uh, Ernie Ortiz, the CEO, last week just uh, went public, raising some $150 million Canadian. It's listed on the Toronto main board, ticker symbol LIRC, that's Lithium Royalty Corp. Ernie, you and I, I guess, go back, I think, to maybe 2015, 2016. You used to be yeah. at a fun tide point. This was like early Lithium 2.0, where you were largely investing in, in larger cap companies, like Albemarle was the proxy for high Lithium prices then, and SQM. I remember SQM was like 30 bucks, and then it was 40 bucks, and then it was 50 bucks, and, and then it was 60 bucks. But uh, right, but still, there was some skepticism among major hedge funds about investing in a, a developing company. But you, you since left that. But uh, for our investing audience that may be unfamiliar with investing in royalty companies, right? I see you as a diversified play if you don't want to just invest in a single you know, particular company, uh, but you're very different than, let's say, an ETF that might be available as an investment opportunity for diverse exposure. You've just been through, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 meetings with institutional investors. <laughs> you, you cut back some people, and unfortunately, fortunately, you got it done before a bunch of bank bankruptcies in America, <laughs> which is now knocking your stock below the issue price. But uh, introduce yourself, help us think through the investment case, you know, for Royalty Corp, you know, in lithium. And then Rodney will ask a series of questions after that. Sure. Uh, thanks, Howard. Thanks, Rodney. So just to introduce myself, Bernie Ortiz, President and CEO of Lithium Royalty Corp, uh, since inception, since we started it over five years ago. Uh, but to your question on uh, benefits of a royalty business model, and you touched on one of them, uh, diversification. Uh, two other ones that I want to underscore for your viewers are high margin with free cash flow, and lastly, optionality. So first on diversification, uh, there's 29 royalties in the LRC portfolio. So no single asset makes or breaks us very well diversified. So you can gain exposure to a variety of projects uh, and, and have the benefits of scale and diversific diversification, which lowers the overall risk profile. And then second, the high margin with free cash flow so LRC is focused on top line revenue royalties. And through this structure, there's no exposure to either OPEX or CAPEX. And as you guys have seen, there's been dramatic inflation in both OPEX and CAPEX throughout the sector. So this is a great way to enhance the free cash flow generation uh, of an investment uh, while also having the thematic uh, of lithium at your back. And then lastly, optionality. Uh, in the majority of cases, once we've done an investment, there's no additional outlay or cash outflow from LRC to the operator or developer. So to the extent that they enhance the asset, whether it's production expansions or adding my life or adding, adding resource, that's all free carry to LRC and to the benefit of LRC, the LRC investor. Okay, great. So as as lithium prices rise, you get all the benefit, but as lithium costs rise, you don't uh, have any impact. Correct. Yeah. So our, our royalties are on revenue. So we'll just collect a proportion of the revenue that the, each project generates. So any, you know, the lithium industry is, is changing. It's becoming more complex. There's geopolitical issues that are surfacing. Do you have any sort of strict criteria or 
preferences around jurisdictions and countries as to what you can invest in? I mean, how do you, do you have any hard no's? How does it work? Sure. So there's no strict restrictions or, or policies uh, at, at this time, but our key driving force is to invest in high grade and low cost assets that ultimately will get into production. And uh, Howard alluded to some of them uh, already, but uh, we have a royalty on core lithium, on Sigma, and on Siege and Mining, which all are guiding to production in 2023. And to the benefit of lithium, it's a special asset class across the mining and EV metal space in that the majority of the production or feedstock today comes from well-established mining jurisdictions, and Australia comes to mind. Uh, so going forward, and even uh, historically, our preference has been for Australia, Canada, Brazil, and certain parts of Argentina. And while there's no strict restrictions in place, we will shy away from countries or regions where property rights, royalty registration, uh, where it's not favorable, and where we think that permitting is going to be an issue. Those are all factors that we, we weigh considerably. Okay, sure. And uh, in terms of, you know, composition and flow sheet and so on, you know, do you have any preferences with hard rock versus brown versus DLE versus sediment? I mean, how do you kind of factor that in in your choices? Yeah, good question. So historically, we've had, had, a, we've had, had a bias towards spodumene or hard rock resources. Uh, that's largely been a function of the smaller CapEx profile and shorter timeline to production. Uh, when we first started off, we wanted to maximize near-term cash flow for LRC. So that really drove our bias towards hard rock. Uh, so we do have the majority of our assets today are hard rock. That said, we do have exposure to Argentina and to brine uh, with two great assets, one in Catamarca and one in Salta. And we are evaluating uh, DLE at the time. We'll continue to evaluate it. We do evaluate all sorts of, of various projects in the lithium sector. Uh, but overall, uh, we they need to pass a very high bar uh, in order to enter the LRC portfolio. Uh, the key driving forces, as I said, are high grade, low cost, long asset life, being able to have visibility towards permitting, uh, et cetera. So we'll look at everything, but it's a high bar to get into the LRC portfolio. And just a quick sure. question. And I'm sorry to interrupt there because I remember, um, you know, we were involved with Lithium Americas for a while and there was a royalty that Orion, you know, put on there. And uh, I think someone else that was for sale and someone else bought it, I think a London royalty company. Um, were you involved in that process? And, and why don't you have sediment royalties? Oh, so we actually do have uh, a few sedimentary royalties uh, in, in the United States and one in Serbia. So we, we do think that uh, clay and sedimentary has an important role in the sector uh, going forward. Uh, that said, not all clays are created equal. So I think uh, there is going to be differentiation uh, across that and especially tied to how much sulfuric acid is used on an LC basis uh, for, the, for these types of assets. Uh, and correct, there, there, was, uh, there is a royalty on Thacker Pass, which uh, a competitor in, um, in London uh, has and uh, there is some public uh, re record on that that I can refer you and your viewers to. And Ernie, just uh, with the IRA having been uh, released recently, has that changed your view a bit on North America, a greater focus? Yeah, great question. So uh, it hasn't really changed it uh, dramatically. Uh, even before the IRA, uh, since 2021, 
we've grown our presence in both Canada and the USA. Like key assets that we added uh, were the Winsome assets, which you guys know very well as well. Uh, Canset, Adina, and Cermac, we have 4% royalties on those assets. We also added an asset on Mobland from Sayona Mining. So several assets that we added uh, before the IRA introduction. Uh, we always had the view that it was very attractive geology and that over time there would be a localization of the battery supply chain. Uh, but that said, the Inflation Reduction Act has definitely supercharged the attention and the investment into North America, which no doubt our assets will, will benefit from. Uh, and then more specifically, uh, we, uh, it hasn't changed our view dramatically, but I would say that it, it has in, enhanced our confidence that North America will, keep, will be a key member of the electric vehicle revolution, uh, whereas before China and Europe were the key leaders, it does seem like North America is catching up in a very big way. When it goes through the process at LRC, how do you how do you evaluate? You know, looking at the opportunity, do you stress test pricing assumptions? I mean, what uh, I, I know you said low cost and and long life, but are there sort of more nuances in the in the valuation process? Yeah, no, there, there definitely is. So the key things that we stress test are timeline, volume, and price. Uh, so we're very conservative across all those three metrics. Uh, but then there's also a lot of assumptions that go into all those three criteria. Uh, and uh, yeah, we do our own in-house technical due diligence. We also have external uh, validations and, and technical reports uh, that we evaluate. There's a lot of historical mining reports as well that, that we go through. We also look at uh, that overall flow sheet. We have had a preference towards DMS processing, which is simpler and can be cheaper in, in many of the cases. And we also do a lot of correlations when it comes to grain size and just the, the size of the crystal. So there's definitely a lot of uh, work that, that's involved in evaluating these assets. Okay, so Ernie, you're a royalty company. There's a number of gold royalty companies. I don't know, Silver Wheaton and Royal Gold and Franco Nevada. So gold investors may be familiar with this. There is some scarcity value for if, if you are a royalty investor and you know royalties and are interested in royalties, there aren't really many ways to to play that. Uh, but if you're interested, you're not a royalty, like how do you value a company like yours, right? It's one thing if you're a single company, you know, they're going to get into production, they're going to generate a certain amount of cash flow. Here you have 25 plus assets. How should we think about valuation and growth? Yeah, uh, good question. And, and you're right, the royalty business model uh, has been well proven. Uh, it's a proven concept in the precious metal space and also in the base metal space. Uh, so what we've seen historically across the royalty business model is that they're they're valued on a price to net asset value basis. So it's a, a P to nav for for short. Uh, and typically, uh, analysts use discount rates anywhere from five uh, to seven percent. But it it depends on the overall operating company and royalty company that that uh, and the asset base that they have. Uh, and historically, these precious metal royalty companies have traded anywhere from 1.5 to three times P to nav. Uh, and then based on the public information uh, and sell side estimates uh, from today, gold producers or the actual operators of the assets trade anywhere from 0.5 to one times P to nav on average, whereas precious metal royalty companies are trading at two times P to nav or higher. So there has been a historical premium for royalty companies and it's partially because of the reasons we outlined in our in this presentation that 
Uh, there's no OPEX exposure. There's no CAPEX exposure uh, with the royalty business model. It's a more diversified and lower risk to play the sector. And it's a very free cash flow generative. A lot of these royalty companies have EBITDA margins in excess of 70% or more, and, and that's throughout the cycle. So it's a lot less volatility, uh, a lot more free cash flow. And it's been uh, and all of these precious metal royalty companies uh, have generally outperformed uh, on, on a share price basis relative to the operating class. As a company, I mean, it's you and a few other kind of analysts, your financial guys, you, you don't need hundreds of people building mines. And so your margins are, are, are really <laughs> better than software margins uh, in the royalty business model overall, correct? Right, you, you're getting all the revenue, revenue generating assets, and no exposure to cost other than your your salaries, you know, office space and, and the like, right? Is that is that fair? Yeah, no, I think I think that that's a fair point. I think we have around ten or so employees today. CFO just joined us from CIBC, uh, COO and good advisory panel as well with Matt Juno and Cameron Henry. Yeah, this this business model is definitely more scalable. Okay, and it should be correlated to lithium price, right? As a as a proxy for you know, if you think lithium prices are going up, you know, you're going to get higher royalties on the higher revenues from that. So. Uh, okay, you just went public. Well, so and then just, just on, on, the, on the point there, just uh, it will be correlated to price. But uh, one thing that we are uh, evaluating and looking more closely at is that the volume correlation will also be very important. And uh, Sigma is a good example that since we acquired the asset, they've gone from a publicly reported 220,000 tons of production to over 700,000 tons of production once full phase three is outlined and, and fully ramped up. So of course, we will have exposure to price, but the volume optionality will also be important as these assets gain scale and uh, expand production. So you you just went right. public. You're kind of still in a quiet period or a cooling off period among your syndicate. The syndicate was led by Canaccord and City, and I think uh, TD Cowan and Cormark were also in there. I would expect some of the analysts covering them once they're off the restricted list. You know, we'll start publishing detailed research so you could see the underlying assets that you you have. Okay, great. Ernie, this was a great uh, introduction to be continued. 